Hello, friends. Today's guest on the podcast is Nathan Hadley. Nathan is a professional root setter and a very impressive all-around rock climber. Nathan works at the Seattle Bouldering Project and spends much of his time climbing on some of the world's best granite in and around Index, Washington. He also travels quite a bit to climb and seems to have a particular affinity for hard multi-pitch sport climbs and alpine climbs, although he's pretty good at everything. We talked about his experience completing the Canadian Alpine Trilogy, which is a collection of three 514 multi-pitch routes that Sonny Trotter established in the Canadian Rockies some years ago. We talked about putting up the first 514 at Index, a route called En Passant that Nathan climbed this spring. And we talked about repeating a route called Vanishing Point on Dolomite Tower and Nathan's hopes to find another 514 multi-pitch route in Washington State. We also talked about training. Nathan has a really interesting way of using bouldering circuits in the gym as a significant portion of his training, and we talked quite a bit about that. We talked about different types of circuits he uses to train power endurance or to practice on-siding skills or to work on low-end endurance. We also talked about the mental side of on-siding and some of the key things that led Nathan to have a really successful on-siding trip to Turkey last year. And we talked about Nathan's organic approach to taking time off from hard climbing and the importance of following the psych. Nathan wrote a really great article about bouldering circuits, the different types, and how he uses them in his training. You can find that on his website at nathanhadley.com, and I will link to it in the show notes. He's also written countless articles about his projects and trips, and I highly recommend checking out those as well. And that's it. If you guys have any questions about circuit training, please don't hesitate to ask. Don't hesitate to reach out for any reason, actually. I love hearing from you guys, and I really appreciate the kind messages I've received from many of you. I'm glad many of you are liking the show, and I'm always open to feedback for ways to make it better. Thank you for listening. Love you all. Be safe out there. Please enjoy this conversation with Nathan Hadley. I don't know if you were aware of this, but SJ mentioned you in the podcast that I did with her. Oh, really? So yeah, you mentioned that you listened to Mikey's. I did one with SJ as well, and she mentioned you when they were when we were talking about the Dark Side of Liberty mm-hmm. and you going and repeating that. And she brought up that you had done the Canadian Alpine trilogy right before that. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting to me. We talked on the phone a little bit ago, you and I last week or so, and we got into that a little bit, but not a whole lot. And that's a huge accomplishment. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and maybe not the most common goal or something that, you know, today's average climber gets fixated on. So what mm-hmm. I'm curious, what put that on your radar and what got you excited about the Canadian Alpine trilogy? Yeah, so I I grew up in the Midwest, and so I think I kind of have an exaggerated love of being in the mountains because I didn't live close to the mountains, and I grew up sport climbing, going to the Red. So I think I've I've always just been like the thing I'm most inspired by right now is people doing hard hard like multi pitch face climbs in the mountains. So the route like Silbergeier in Switzerland, which is part of like the original Alpine trilogy in Europe, 
that route has always been a dream route, still is. I hmm. hope to one day plan a trip to get on it. And I think Sonny Trotter, who put up that Canadian Alpine trilogy, was also inspired by these routes and wanted to create a similar sort of experience in the Canadian Rockies. And I've known about a couple of his routes for a while. A video came out of one of the routes called Castles in the Sky. And oh, yeah. The crux pitch of that route is just like insane. It's it climbs this ret that's you know probably a thousand feet off the ground. The position just looked insane, and it was probably maybe five years ago when I saw that video, and I was like, I want to go climb that mm-hmm. someday. So I think a lot of a lot of doing routes like this is finding like the right partner. Okay, and I think just a couple things aligned that finally kind of enabled that trip to happen. Um, I met this guy, Mike Kersner, in Patagonia two years ago. Did you guys do the trilogy together? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. I know Mike. Yeah, we did like a month-long trip to Canmore, and we weren't going with the intention of climbing all three routes. The routes that really inspired me were Castles in the Sky and The Shining that um, Tommy Caldwell and Sonny Trotter put up ground up. So those two routes were like kind of high on the list. And if we didn't really get to anything else, that was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, we also wanted to check out the path at Lake Louise and just climb at the main sport climbing crags and just kind of get a good tour of like the Canmore climbing. Yeah. So we we went into it like quite casually just kind of inspired by a couple of these routes. At what point did you decide, like, okay, let's finish the trilogy? So this is last summer that we did this. We drove out from the Pacific Northwest. On our way, we stopped in the Bugaboos, and neither of us had been to the Bugaboos, so we climbed a couple of moderate routes in the Bugaboos just to kind of see that place, and then drove on to Canmore. Rested a couple of days, and Castles in the Sky was, like, number one on the list, so that was the first thing that we got on. And we had two good days of weather before some rain was coming in. Hmm. And we decided that we were just gonna climb on that route those two days, even though the hike is like probably three hours. Like they're kind of long days to get on this on these routes. Usually want to have like a rest day or two in between yeah, attempts. Sure. But what ended up happening is I sent the route in on the second day. So we were like in Canmore like a few days and, and like this dream route had like already gone down. Mike wasn't able to do it then, but he came back to it like a couple of weeks later and sent like his first day back on it. Awesome. So I think, I think after doing that route so quick, we were like, oh, maybe we can actually do all three. Hmm. So, yeah. That's awesome. Is that something that you prepared for in a particular, in a targeted way? Yeah, I definitely did do some preparation. I think that I like get into the mountains enough that like I wasn't too worried about the hiking and the long days part of it. I felt like I I basically just needed to get into sport climbing shape. Okay. And that would probably be enough to get me the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and for 
preparing for like a sport climbing trip or a project, I usually do like one month of like going through uh, like kind of a regular, loose regular system of workouts. Um, I work as a root setter at a bouldering gym. And so I always have that bouldering kind of base going when I'm at home working. Mm -hmm. So all I need do to get into the sport climbing shape is just add like a couple extra days of power endurance training so that'll either look like spending time in the gym running a circuit or going to the crag and just sport climbing and if I'm doing that one of those things two days a week then for a month generally I feel like pretty good after that okay yeah. During that one month period, I'd love to dig into that more. So there's a couple of things I want to get into. We had a really interesting conversation on the phone about circuits and mm-hmm. the way that you approach circuits for training in the gym. And it sounded a little different than what I've seen other people do. Um, maybe we could start with that. How yeah. do you how do you approach circuits in the gym? Yeah. So in climbing, there's two, I think, main uses of the word circuit. And I've used both of them. One method of like doing a circuit is making up like a 20 to 30 to 40 move loop on the spray wall Mm -hmm. um, and running that once or multiple times. And I do that a little bit, but the other type of circuits is the kind of font style circuit. Font blue style? Yeah. Where you're running a group of boulders that are roughly within a similar grade range, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the the length of the circuit could be anything. Um, could be 10 boulders, could be 20, could be 40. I have found that like doing these font style circuits is the quickest way that I can get into shape. Okay. Um, like it'll, they'll be a little bit more effective than going to the sport crag and just getting pumped mm. um, or maybe a lot more effective for sure. You can create a circuit for kind of any, basically anything that you would like to train. Um, you could train mental skills and select a group of really hard boulders and give yourself only one attempt at, on each boulder. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could train low-level endurance and do a circuit of 50 boulders at like V1 to V3 or whatever. Um, are you selecting these from the gym or are you making them up on like a spray wall or I, a mix of both? I am, um, I'm selecting them from the bouldering gym. And at the bouldering project, things are already set up in circuits. So it, it makes it really easy. Um, yeah, so at the bouldering project, for every grade range of three grades, there's a a circuit. So there's a zero to two circuit. Oh, okay. Um, a one to three circuit, a two to four circuit. Like color-coded or something? Color-coded, exactly. Okay. So I'll just pick my range. Um, you know, if I'm doing that, like, 50 boulder, like, low-level endurance, maybe I'm doing the, the green circuit, which is, like, one to three, plus the purple circuit, which is V4 to or V2 to 4. So really easy. Um, It's like kind of going for a light jog. Mm -hmm. Um, And I won't rest that much in between boulders. I'll, you know, down climb and then move to the next one immediately. Mm. If I'm wanting like more of a power endurance workout, I'll maybe get on 
the pink circuit, which is V6 to 8. And at the gym, usually there's about, or at the Seattle location of the bouldering project, usually there's about 30 to 35-ish boulders in a circuit. Mm-hmm. And I'll run through the pink circuit, for example. Either I'll, I'll run through it with minimal rest, like 30 seconds to a minute, or I'll do like clumps of four. And it ends up looking kind of like a four by four where you're doing four boulder problems and then you take like maybe two minutes and then you move on to the next four okay. boulder problems. The reason why I think the circuits are so effective um, versus like going to the rope gym and doing laps on the lead wall or, you know, making up a loop circuit on the spray wall or even doing four by fours on boulder boulders that you know very well like these methods are really really good for like giving you like flaming pump but when you have to climb like 30 35 different v6s to v8s and some of them maybe you have gotten on and some of them maybe you haven't your your like movement skills are way more challenged and i feel Mm. like i feel like that's like closer to the reality of climbing outside and that like when you're projecting you know a route pretty well but a lot of times like for me it's like it's really cool to be able to do a route really fast to onsite it to flash it or to like do it in less than a handful of tries Mm -hmm. and you're never going to really know the route that well um you know like going to canmore like you know these single pitch cruxes are sport climbs but they're like they take like a three hour hike and then like some scrambling and like a few pitches of 512 to like get to the base of them you don't want like this is not going to be like a project that you're going to spend 50 burns on you know memorizing so it's like like you need to have like kind of like you know all the climbing tricks in your toolbox like available to you you can just whip out and know like oh like this is what my body needs to do and i think doing circuits is going to like like usually bouldering like the movement requirements are a little bit more complex than sport climbing and i think that's the benefit of doing circuits at a bouldering gym because like the root setters have like designed these boulders to be trickier than the average sport climb Mm -hmm. and so you're going to be challenged in that way and your foot might pop and you might like fall because of a stupid move and you might not get like the perfect pump but like i i don't know i think like obsessing about that kind of stuff is unimportant compared to like learning how to be a better climber and like you still get like super worked doing Mm -hmm. these circuits you're like training your intuition more though yeah okay yeah interesting exactly okay so if you have a this one month period where you're getting back in shape after switching modalities like you're training for the sport climb or whatever Mm -hmm. how do you think about when to do which different type or intensity of Fontainebleau style circuit? Um, Let's say you're just doing these twice a week and you're not climbing outside. Yeah. Just for like an example. Right. Yeah. So like during times when you're not trying to be in shape for a sport climb, you know, and this is like, this is just going off of like some kind of well-known ish recommendations. It's like, (laughs) What I've heard and what I've read is that you like 
is that you should focus on strength and power and low level level endurance. So they're like the two extremes, right, of like the training spectrum. Mm -hmm. And those are kind of your base, right? Yeah, the high-low training. Right, exactly. And I that, yeah, the high-low training strategy is what, what makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Because once, yeah, once you climb for a little bit, you like, you kind of realize like how much your power endurance fluctuates and like you, I mean, you can kind of like sustain it sort of, but like it's more effective if you just like train it really hard in these little bursts. Yeah. So when I'm in these like four, these like one month long phases, really they're just power endurance phases. So I'm just trying to add like two power endurance workouts. So I'll like, I'll try to make them a little bit different. So, you know, one day I might, I might run a, the pink circuit V6 to V8. And then one day maybe I'll do like a loop circuit on this spray wall. Well, I'll run a really hard circuit and it's maybe more of a mental day, but I'm still like, I'm still watching my rest time and, and still like getting a workout. But, you know, maybe I'm climbing a circuit that's V8, V9, V10 um, mm-hmm. and falling a lot. Um, but like watching how many times I attempt each boulder, maybe I'm attempting each boulder only two times and resting only one or two minutes in between attempts and moving to the next. I don't know. I have fun with it. I'm like, uh, you know, it's like try to switch it up and yeah, like there's, there's so many like fun, different variations that you can do. Mm -hmm. Like you can mix like two circuits, you know, you could do the four by four style where you're like, I'm going to climb two pink boulders and then like a blue boulder and then like end on a white, which is the hardest circuit of the bouldering project. So you like, you do this chunk of boulders ending with like a really hard boulder problem. Mm -hmm. So you're like training how to like execute hard moves when you're a little bit tired. Mm. Yeah. It's like, I think like as long as you're within the like power endurance realm, which is, you know, fairly wide and just kind of mixing it up two days a week, uh, you know, I'm not like super, super structured. I like to be like structured about like, about the things that count and then like be kind of loose and free and playful okay as much as i can you know so it sounds like with your root setting you're always kind of spending that set of time on the high right right you're always doing the strength and power stuff with that right and then are you always doing some of the low as well no okay some of the low i do in the gym like in the winter and this is like arcing or like yeah this is like doing like arc yeah like arcing for me like on the spray wall or like on the tread wall is like really heinous okay um but like i can get myself to do like climb a bunch of v1 through three or four boulder problems okay um so i could do like a pretty much an hour of consistent climbing climbing like a boulder a minute and that feels like pretty close like it gets my heart rate up you feel like it trains the same thing I think it does. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I think, I think a lot of people might kind of freak out about that time period where you're like on the mats. Cause you do between. step off in between. Yeah. Which, okay. But I, I don't think that's really a big deal. I don't know. I mean, understanding that rest period is really important and that it's there and like taking control of it. But I think just the fact that it's there at all doesn't kind of negate the effectiveness of the workout okay Um, i really don't think it's a big deal to like spend 15 seconds walking in between boulder problems 
yeah, like I still feel it. I feel it in my arms. Like my heart rate is up and I feel like that's kind of the important thing is just like you're moving for an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's just so much more fun to do it that way. Um, because you you can climb like 50 or 60 different boulder problems and yeah, I mean, you need to like want to do your workout. So, mm-hmm. right. right. So, but I don't, I, I don't usually do that in the summer. Like in the summer I started, I'd switch to like doing more climbing in the mountain, in the mountains. So I'm doing more hiking and, and doing multi-pitch routes. And I don't know, I, I'd like to think that that kind of translates to the same, same effect, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just, I like kind of try to work, you know, what I'm psyched for, plus like my work as a root setter, bouldering, try to weave everything together into like kind of this like loose but effective training plan. Okay. <laughs> so. Cool. I have a couple of follow-on questions. So you said like with the power endurance, with the, the font circuits, you're not too structured with that. You keep it fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you said something interesting. You said you save the structure for where it matters more. Mm-hmm. What are those things? Where does where do you have more structure in your approach to training? I think just the fact that like I am thinking about this and kind of like shifting pieces like that. That's me structuring my okay. workouts and like I think that's kind of the piece that that matters. Like I don't I don't think it needs to be more than that. And I think like the focus that I can kind of br- can bring to performing outside is also like a piece of that. It's like you do have to like zero in and singularly focus on whatever climb that you end up on. Um, if I can kind of keep like a loose approach, loose but intentional approach to my training, but then like be able to be super focused, super disciplined and the amount of sleep that I get and my mm. warm up and all of that when it's when it's time to perform. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess that's the kind of winning combination for me. Okay. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. It sounds like you use this kind of one month prep and circuit approach when you were trying to be specifically fit for Scarface. You came down to Smith um, a while back and sent Scarface 14A down there. Yeah, is that true? How did how did you think about um, like focusing to be able to show yeah. up fit for a route like that? That one actually didn't. I didn't have like a good training period before that one. Okay. Um, I think I told you before that I thought I felt like I was barely, I was like impassable shape, and like passable shape, passable <laughs> shape right, for that route. Yeah, for that route. Right. You just showed up with a healthy finger. <laughs> yeah. You got it done. That's right. Well, yeah. So, like, I at that point, I had been kind of, like, in a sport climbing mode and just trying to maintain it for a few months, maybe. And, it, you know, like, my power endurance kind of ebbed and flowed. And I feel like that's kind of, like, a hard place to be when you're, like, trying to send a project because you never really know where you're at in that cycle. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, before I did Scarface, that winter I actually I decided that I wanted to compete. Again, it was something I did growing up. I, I competed in the youth series, and then when I aged out, I just quit. I kind of moved on from climbing for a little bit, and yeah, it kind of... I don't know if I was like burnt out, but I feel like I definitely needed to step away from it and have that kind of vision in. That's right, because um, you started really young. You started at age seven? 
Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. How long were you really into the comp thing before you? I think I, I started back? competing like pretty fast, like okay. within a year. Okay. I got sucked into the youth climbing team. So I did that. And then, yeah, I stopped when I was 18, 17 or 18. So it had been, I'm 27 now. And it was this last winter or two winters ago that I competed. So it'd been like almost 10 years since I competed. And mm. I, you know, I'd been a root setter full time for the last like six or seven years. And, you know, I'd set for comps. I've been kind of like loosely associated with the scene. And I was curious just like how, you know, how would I do if I jump back into this for a little bit? I just wanted to see where I was at and just get a taste for it again. So I signed up for sport climbing nationals, which I think was in the beginning of March of last year. And I did the month long stint that we talked about for that. Mm-hmm. And so I came into that feeling pretty good. My goal was to make semifinals, and I did. Nice. And yeah, that was super cool to to be back in it and kind of know that I can sort of hang, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so, and then after that, I planned a climbing trip with my wife to Turkey. And my goal was just to like kind of take that fitness that I had built up for sport nationals and translate it to a bunch of on-siding. And I chose on-siding for that trip just because I wanted to keep the vibe like relaxed, like just be able to like go to a bunch of different areas with my wife and Liz and just have a lot of fun getting on tons of different routes. Mm-hmm. And it worked out really well. I like I on-sided more 513s there than I, I probably I think I like doubled the amount of 513s that I've ever on-sited in that one trip. On-sited my first 13C. Yeah, it was like, it was really productive, but it also was just like insanely fun because I just got on like all of these really, really, really beautiful rock climbs. Hmm. Um, So yeah, that was really, it was really, really cool to translate that month like to sport climbing nationals and then that trip. But then I came back from that like end of March, early April and you know it's it's still sport climbing season like Smith is really good and I you know I've had had the Scarface it's like that route had been a project for me for a couple years so yeah you had some history with that one yeah I had injured my finger on the, the first season on it and had the fitness to do it but my finger just wasn't strong enough to get through like the lower fingery crux yeah, and, and just like I live in Seattle, so going down to Smith, which is like five and a half hours away, is just like logistically it's hard to kind of do it a lot. So, yeah, I think there's just a couple of reasons why that project kind of dragged out and it got in my head for sure. And I'd fallen high on the route several times where it's, you know, like you're getting onto the slab and like it's super heady because you have to stand on these bad feet and do this like really weird like hip mantle thing Mm -hmm. it's like it it's definitely i think like the most bizarre some of the most bizarre climbing that i've done outside interesting um because like you, you literally have to like like prop your hip like on this hold like exactly the right way to be able to release your left hand to move it up to this hole because the right hand is is just this 
terrible like sloping two-finger dish that like nobody except Adam Andra can actually pull uh-huh. off of and I think he did he did on-site that right he and did. I think I saw the video he just like grabbed that like sloping dish and just like yarded off of it <laughs> <laughs> it's insane so for like yeah the normal people we have to like get into this hip thing and it's like it was really weird to figure out that move and then you have to like do this weird like foot whip around to like get out of the hip thing and your foot established onto the slab Mm -hmm. and then you do these really insecure moves on the slab and yeah it's just like a head nightmare up there of a red point crux so you know like when you add in all this history it just makes it really really hard um your own and, personal history on right it. Just exactly just like yeah two years of like oh like i know i can do this but still haven't yeah so i came long story short i guess i'm just trying to get around to like i came to that that route just kind of like you know i'd been trying to stay in sport climbing shape too long and mm. maybe did like one or two circuit workouts before to like try to like kind of zap back up to like close to a peak but um but yeah it it ended up being like barely, barely enough, <laughs> barely enough. I felt like I was falling like on every single move on that slab for, yeah, till you get to the first good hold, um, which yeah. is a ways. Yeah, it felt it felt really desperate. Got so, you. Yeah, which you know that's it's you know that's how it should feel. So, but yeah, barely, barely got that one. You said something interesting when we were on the phone. You said that you actually don't take your climbing that seriously. And you were describing that you have a lot of seasons or a lot of days mixed in where you just go out and climb some nice climbing on a beautiful day. Yeah. Is that is that just good for you mentally as a mental break? I also wonder hearing you talk about trying to maintain sport climbing shape and feeling yourself slip out of it and you know showing up to scarface barely having enough left to get up this final route Mm -hmm. you know we can't as athletes we want to think that we can sustain that sort of performance all the time but none of us can yeah are those ebbs and flows how important do you think that is for your physical performance in the long term versus just like a mental break yeah i think it's important i think the idea of like kind of taking a break off and then like pushing that peak a little bit higher after a break is something that I've experienced. Um, but I, I think that like the mental, like just being able to stay psyched and be able to like come to a trip or a project with motivation is the most important piece. Cause if, I mean, you can do so much when you're psyched and you're focused and you just, I, I think I can't live in that mode. Maybe some people can, like you can't live in that. I, I, I don't think you really, anyone can live in that mode all the time Mm -hmm. and so yeah so it's important for me to like have a relaxed day climbing at index with liz climbing you know five nines and five tens and you know i only have like usually a couple days outside of resetting to get outside and maybe that's like one of my days Hmm. and you know it's not like really moving me towards any training goal but like i'm i'm having really good time with my partner I'm enjoying being outside in a beautiful place and I'm enjoying the movement of climbing. And I think it's really important just to keep that alive for me and to like 
have space to like go to go in and out of being focused on projects. You know, I want to climb all the classic moderate routes in Washington. I have so many more to do. Mm. Like, like yeah, spending a day hiking all day and going to climb this amazing 511 is is really important, and it you know it doesn't get me towards a goal necessarily. But yeah, I, I think that's that's kind of what I mean by like keeping a relaxed approach. Mm. And it's like, yeah, and like another example is like I work with a bunch of boulders, and I consider myself more of a rope climber. I'd rather like. I'd rather be sport climbing on or track climbing on my days out, but like, I don't know, that kind of relaxed approach is, allows me just to be like, yeah, I'll go, I'm going to go bouldering with, you know, the crew today. And the funny thing is like, ultimately I feel like it all kind of works out because like you're doing all of these different things. You're like, you're climbing these really weird trad 511s, which are like improving your climbing skills and your climbing IQ. And, you know, you're going out and bouldering, you know, doing something maybe that, like, you don't prefer, but it's leading towards creating a better, well-rounded climber mm-hmm. in the end, I think. So, yeah. You know, I kind of, like, I fully am kind of have this whole system, like, justifying my, like, quote-unquote relaxed approach. <laughs> and I think people who climb with me, like, you know, I think Mike thought I was, like, super intense when we did this Canmore trip. And, I like, I think I can be. It's like I switch into that mode mm. of, like, okay, this is, like, um, you know, I have, like, this goal and these routes that I want to do. And, like, I'm going to do everything I can to, like, accomplish that. But okay. I'm going to only end in, like, stay in that mode for a little bit, you know. To what extent do you plan those intense and relaxed modes versus just letting them happen? I think I try to let them happen, yeah. you know? Yeah. So following the psych as much as you can, like finding the sport climb that really inspires you or like, you know, the multi-pitch routes that really inspire me and coming to those routes with kind of like an open mind and kind of when you realize things are clicking and that like this is something that you really want to do then kind of entering into that focused state of mind yeah that's the way i go about it at least what about on the flip side is there anything that signals you like okay it's time for me to just kind of chill out and enjoy some easier climbing for a bit whether something that you recognize how you feel in your body or your mind Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, totally. That's a really good question. I think like body pain is a huge, like, <laughs> okay. I mean, if you're just like not feeling very good and you're not very psyched, like I've had to learn how to listen to that and be like, okay, it's time to like relax and go climb five nines hmm. and do a lot of hiking. Yeah. And then like after finishing a project, I think like it's easy to kind of like want to like go rush to the next one, hmm. but like because you're like, ah, oh, like I accomplished thing, accomplished this thing. The site kind of still feels sort of high, but like, but you've just exerted a mental effort, and I think like that's a really good time just to switch and be like, okay, I need to, like, I'm just gonna like have no goals intentionally for a while, mm. you know, a month or two, and just use this time to like do easy climbing that I've wanted to that I've wanted to do for a while or like get into skiing or like do other things that aren't hard rock climbing that you've wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You were talking about the 5.11, how, you know, that might not necessarily be a part of 
moving towards this ultimate goal that you have or a harder goal that you have, but it does improve your IQ, your climbing IQ. Yeah. I think when I first met you, we were in the Agrigoli at Smith and I watched you on-site AgroMonkey, which mm-hmm. is 13B. And I think it was your first 13B on-site. Yeah, it was. Time. Yeah. And I, I remember at the time I was so impressed watching you do that and just like, who is this guy? And I think <laughs> I snooped on you a little bit and I saw that you have a really impressive tick list of on-sites in the mountains, that granite style that's really difficult, really tricky to read. Mm-hmm. You know, a bunch of 12 pluses that I saw multi-pitch routes like right off the bat. I was like, whoa. We got into an interesting conversation about on-siding and I was asking you on the phone, like, is it just the, you know, the 511 thing? Is it just spending a lot of time on granite and using all this time climbing and all this mileage to slowly increase your climbing IQ? Or are you also able to practice that? And you had a really, you said something really interesting about how you practice on-siding in the climbing gym. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Um, it's kind of back to the circuits thing, right? Yeah, back to the yeah, back to the circuits. Yeah, there's a circuit for everything. <laughs> <laughs> on-siding circuit. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, the on-siding circuit is is quite literally is just what it it is what it sounds like, and you have one attempt per boulder. And I remember you saying it. You're not necessarily flashing like sometimes you've done them before. Yeah, sometimes you've done them before, but ideally, like, you know, you go to a different gym that you don't normally climb at and you, like, select a grade range and you just hop on every boulder in that grade range that's up in the gym. With a one-try limit. With a one-try limit, yeah. Because it kind of, it increases the stakes, you know? Mm. And, I mean, you have one shot to onsite a route or flash a route, and if you don't, like, it's a red point. (laughs) (laughs) So... You know, it doesn't, it's not about doing the boulder. And I think that's what's, it's cool about it. It takes like a little bit of discipline to be like, I'm only getting on this once. Hmm. And like, you know, I've done some coaching and it's really, really funny to force people to to do this exercise because you always want to like try it again because like you could get on, your foot could blow on the first move and, <laughs> and that's it. You know, that's your, that's your shot. Hmm. So, yeah, with this workout, like, the rest time doesn't really matter. You just kind of rest as long as you need, like, as you want to be kind of recovered. You know, you're not trying to get a pump, Hmm. trying to, like, perform on each boulder. And I do that, and then I'll also go to the the sport climbing gyms in the area and and on-site. Because I don't, like, primarily climb at or train at a sport climbing gym. Mm Mm-hmm when I visit these gyms, like everything's new to me. So, which is great. Um, Mm -hmm. So I can get on pretty much anything in practice, but I think just using a mix of, a mix of things kind of like we've talked about is important. Is there ever a case for an exercise where you're practicing one tri-limit climbing in a state of fatigue? Yeah, you could for sure do that. I mean, is that something you've done or do you think that'd be valuable? Yeah, I think it would be. I think if you do like a long session of one shots, what I call them, you know, by the end of the workout, you're going to be kind of tired. Mm. Um, so you'll kind of get that. Yeah. I think you kind of naturally end up working that. And I wouldn't say that I've, I've targeted that, even though obviously that's, that's important. Mm-hmm. I think like if you're running circuits, you kind of, you get that already. Like if you're doing a power endurance circuit, 
the whole idea is that like you don't like have every boulder memorized because you're getting on 35 and you know even if you've been on 25 of them already you know you're still going to run up against some that are like feel kind of unfamiliar Mm -hmm. and yeah I, i would say i guess you get that effect from doing kind of more of the power endurance side of okay circuits Got you. Yeah. There's a little bit of an on-siding element to those. To Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I think that's pretty kind of, that's a fundamental part of doing circuits is that you don't have everything dialed. Because I think like every other way to train endurance, usually like, yeah, you end up having things dialed. Yeah. The tread wall where you're climbing on the same 10 holds. Yeah. The tread wall. Straight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, sport climbs in the gym that are like more simple movement mm. usually, and you're maybe running laps on the same one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the biggest advantage is that you're like, yeah, you're being forced to do like uncomfortable and hard moves that you may not be like super familiar with or have dialed. Okay. Yeah. I want to also talk a little bit about strategy with you for outdoor on siding. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe we can talk about your turkey trip. Mm-hmm. The first question I, I want to explore is I always have a really hard time warming up for hard on sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels like I need to warm up differently than I do for a red point project. Hmm. And I haven't totally figured out what that needs to be, whether it's just slower pacing or, hmm. or what, but, um, do you have any thoughts on that? Is there any specific way you warm up for a hard on site? Um, ideally if I have a project outside the on-site component is part of my warm-up okay yeah so i'll climb you know a 511 512 you know i have body issues like everyone else so i do whatever band work like whatever kind of pt stuff that i'm doing at the moment that kind Mm -hmm. of helps like get the body warmed up yeah so you just you kind of like are working a pyramid and it means that you're like getting to your red point project a little bit slower than maybe you would normally. But for me, it's like, yeah, the two doing two routes, like a 511, a 512, you know, and that second route being something that you're going to get like that medium, that medium pump on, I think is pretty important. And then you're going to go to your kind of your onsiding level. And yeah, I mean, I think one of the other key is like the, the mental preparedness right so it's like you definitely have to kind of enter a state maybe even more focused than on your red point project when mm-hmm. you're on siting and I, I think that's what i like about it is you're just you're more engaged stakes um, are higher yeah you know and i think trying to like read as much of the route like try to figure out where there's going to be rest or where the crux look look like they're going to be etc on the ground and doing kind of like loose visualization before getting on the route Hmm. um or just kind of like kind of mapping it out loosely in your mind obviously you can't like go through hold by hold you know unless you've watched like you're trying to flash and you've seen videos but like yeah for on-siting it's like you you really don't have that much information so yeah I, i i mean i don't do anything crazy just you know are you visualizing specific movements or just how you might feel on the route, how tired you're going to be, what your mental dialogue is going to be when you approach a hard section or a rest? Like what, what is involved in that sort yeah. of process? I think just like, 
mapping out kind of like your the rest and the crux and like the corresponding like mental states you know it's just like okay like the bottom of the root looks like easy and kind of relax like get into a rhythm like looks like I have to turn it on for a little bit but then I get a rest I'll be able to refocus there I'll be able to scope out the next like five moves Mm. because I'll be close enough to read the sequence or make a good guess of the sequence and you know and then I'm gonna execute that envision sequence as all out as I can mm-hmm. um, and you know just keep going into the chains and so it's like I, for me it's like it's yeah it's loose but just trying to get yourself prepared to try hard mm-hmm. is important Is there anything you can point to aside from the physical preparation that helped your turkey trip be so successful for on-siding? Anything maybe as far as on-siding and your prep and how you look at a root from the ground or how you think about it that you wish you'd known years ago? I think just just knowing that you have to like try it, like try on-siding. I think it's hard to come by the discipline of like not getting sucked into like trying something multiple times. And Mm. I think key for me was like, I actually kind of limited my attempts and I I left like a lot of roots undone. So your intention going into the trip. Yeah. It was like, I'm, yeah, I'm going to spend like two tries max on most stuff, you know, and you know, I'm going to use that second try on roots that are like really fun and inspiring and like really cool roots. But I'm also going to get on, like, random book routes that, like, you know, might be definitely not classics. And I'm going to try to give it an on-site burn. And then I'll, maybe I'll on-site it or maybe I won't. But I'm just going to move on after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just kind of setting some guidelines for myself for that trip was, like, was pretty important. And I don't, I don't think I had ever done that to a certain to that extent. Mm-hmm. And uh, that strategy ended up being really successful i think partly because like uh, you know like i attempted to onsite a lot of roots so naturally like some of them worked out <laughs> so you know yeah got you yeah so one thing i didn't know i was a little bit familiar with your resume before i started doing my homework on you um and i knew that you know you've you're very good at a lot of different disciplines and um one thing that had slipped by, because I had heard about some of the 514s you've climbed at Little Sigh, and I knew that you'd done Scarface, but you recently did the first 514 at Index, first ascent of the first 514 at Index. Yeah, I think it deserves to be the first 514, but... Proposed. Yeah, pr- first proposed. <laughs> we'll call it that. Well, congrats. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Tell me about that one. Yeah, so it's... it's um, the route is called... <laughs> Actually, well, I should look it up. <laughs> we call it 10%, but the full name is longer. It has a complicated, yeah, complex history, the, the, it sounds like. The like abbreviation is TPMV. But yeah, how do you even say that? 10% meteor- <laughs> meteorological ventilation. I think I looked up what that meant. and TPMV. I'm not sure if it even means anything. Uh, how do you, it's V-I-N-T. I will add this route in the show notes for people if they want to <laughs> tell us what it means. So it means, it's, 
Wiktionary says it says this the use of this word is rare and it means to to tie or bind so i don't know so that's vinculation i don't know what meteorological vinculation is but somebody else can look that up <laughs> so anyway this this root is like it's a multi-pitch root up the lower town wall i think it's four pitches and it was aid climbed for the first time i think in the 80s and it was kind of historic for the lower town wall hmm. and it was freed by two or it was uh, sorry a climbs by a couple of well-ish known yosemite and washington climbers and so yeah needless to say like when it got done as an aid route it was like i think it was kind of the hardest in in that zone like it was mm. kind of a benchmark in index climbing history and a free variation was eventually developed but to start it, you skipped like the bottom, the bottom section of 10%. You climbed on Japanese Gardens, this other really famous route at Endax that's to the right, and then you traverse in like 60 feet up okay. into 10%. And that kind of goes at like 512 for the first pitch, and then 513 for the second. So this route had kind of sat undone in its direct variation for a while and mm. people had tried it and there's there's holds and like everybody knew is like this goes like it's just a matter of time and my friend Blake Harrington like I didn't really think that much of it for a couple years my first couple years climbing at index and he got on it one day with a friend and then texted me about it he's like hey you should get on this like I think you could do it um, it seems like it involves like doing maybe a V10 vert techie boulder problem. It's up to you. He said <laughs> something like that. And so I was like, okay, we'll go check it out. I was kind of, I was doubtful that it would go because it was, you know, it sits right in the center of the lower town wall. Mm -hmm. And so, and there's, there's strong people who've climbed there for years so, yeah, but I ended up checking it out and I spent like a year working on it and oh, wow. it, it went from, it went from like not being able to do a few of the moves and being not sure if it would go to like barely doing one move at a time. And then, you know, finally I could get through this, this like sequence of three really, really hard moves and one shot and yeah, I knew that at, at that point that it could go. Were you excited about it before that? Yeah, um, before I knew, or before- As like, you were trying the moves and checking yeah. it out to, to just kind of in that exploratory phase, was it, did it seem like really good climbing? Yeah, it's, it's really good climbing. It's, yeah, it's like a four by four. Basically there's like four boulder problems, maybe like a V5 boulder problem on this like tips crack. You're not able to really get in, but you're like holding on to the edge of it and you, you're switching from one side of it to the other. And then you get like a little rest and you have to do this really cruxy turnaround where you're like laybacking in one direction with your foot against the edge of the crack. And then you have to spin around so that you're laybacking in the other direction. Hmm. And you do this long move on just really, 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 really bad feet up to this really cool triangle hold 
and then after that you you do like a couple more really interesting boulders that are like in the v7 or 8 range what's Um, the what's the difficulty of that second boulder the yeah the crux boulder i think i think probably is around like v11 oh wow it was my guess like it was like for me it was never really something that was repeatable regularly it felt really low percentage and also really physical at the same time Hmm. yeah like my feet blew a lot it was kind of yeah it was an interesting it was an interesting one to attempt because it yeah it just like it ended in so many just like oh my foot blew again Mm -hmm. um so and I I never I had never worked something like that you know like sport climbing it's like your arms are giving out but mm. it really intrigued me because I hadn't I hadn't been on something like that that was like really just it it was all about technical vertical granite climbing hmm. bad feet weird sideways body positions yeah it was super inspiring and it's like totally easily accessible it's like you know, one hour and 15 minutes from Seattle, and it's right in the middle of the lower town wall, which is a two minute walk from your car. <laughs> and so it was like, it was really easy for that year just to like, I could get anyone to like, and I'm like, oh, you know, put a couple goes on that. And I, I found that like I couldn't really try it more than a couple times. And then, you know, I'd get on, just kind of have fun with the rest of the time that I had that day and getting on because of skin route. or. I found that like it just required so much power. Wow. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was like, it definitely was like at the top of my ability. The the moves were really, really, really powerful and also low percentage. Yeah. And I found that like, yeah, I couldn't try it more than a couple times. And with that one, it was crazy. Like I had never really felt conditions kind of deteriorate or like change during like a given day mm-hmm. as much as I had on that one because I, I could feel like if it just like it you know it was getting later in the afternoon and got like a little bit more humid uh, I went from like kind of barely being able to hold on to the holds just to being able to like not hold on to anything like feet slipping more it was crazy I'd never kind of felt something like that hmm. um, but yeah luckily it's super accessible and it's easy to try so Hmm. (laughs) did you do anything in over the course of that year to target that one in your preparation or was it just um spending time on it yeah spending time on it i think i counted that like the meat of the root was 25 moves so like it didn't really require that much endurance um yeah i think my days root setting were like pretty good prep Hmm. so find that like you know we have like an afternoon full afternoon of four running boulder problems is how we do things we set in the morning usually and then we set in large groups so we're four running like 20 to 30 boulders in the afternoon and i think because of that like i always had kind of like a a good base of power plus a little bit of power endurance and kind of the ability to climb back-to-back boulders that that route required so and and, you know it's vertical so you're like kind of on and off on your feet so Mm. yeah it's not crazy pumpy Mm -hmm. you just have to like stay with it mentally long enough so 
I know in the last couple of years you've done more bouldering in that same area, index and gold bar, mm -hmm. really similar rock. Yeah. Was that a key ingredient in doing that one or? Um, yeah, I think just, yeah, spending more and more time on granite. How yeah. much of your outdoor bouldering is for root climbing versus for itself? I boulder outside for itself. Okay. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's definitely, it's something that I have learned to enjoy a lot more in the last five years. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have the motivation to like project boulders, but I'm definitely, I really love going outside and bouldering and trying to do boulders fast. And yeah, so I, I think a lot, like something that a lot of people maybe don't recognize about climbing in an area like index or like like these granite vertical areas is it really is just like a bunch of bouldering but you're mm. on a rope mm -hmm. and so climbing at index is like kind of the best preparation or at least the first step to like preparing to do hard routes at index is just getting used to the movement there and yeah doing the bouldering on the rope like it'll get you some a fair bit of finger power and stuff like that, just climbing on the roots there. Hmm. So we kind of left off there. I want to jump back to 10%. How does that one stack up now? So obviously you did it in the mm -hmm. end. Does that one stand out as like a significant highlight for you? Is that especially significant to, to send that one or? Yeah. 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 I think Index has become an important place for me since moving to Seattle five years ago and I think to do something there that felt significant, it was a new kind of way of experiencing or living out kind of that climbing experience at Index it was pretty cool. And for it to be on something on such a central historic wall. Kind of leave your mark? Yeah, it felt, it felt cool. Like I, you know, I feel like I, like it's a cool mark to leave at index. Like I don't really need to make any another impression. I think mm -hmm. it's just like, you know, being able to to finish up like an undone project in the center of the lower town wall feels really cool. Um, and I think it was like it was a cool bringing together of a lot of the skills that I had learned in the last five years, spending more time on granite and bouldering a lot more. I definitely was way too weak five years ago to even have a shot hmm. at something like that. And my footwork was definitely nowhere near. Like, I think I probably would get up there and be like, there's no feet, this is impossible. <laughs> and yeah, just to see like that, I've grown that much as a climber to be able to put like strength that I never had before along with like you know, knowing how to use my feet <laughs> mm -hmm. on granite, you know, it's pretty different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you know if anyone else has tried it? Um, I do know that people have tried it. If it has been repeated, I don't know of that yet. Um, okay. so yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for a boulder a boulder. A, a boulder needs to get on it you yeah get ben harrington on it ben harrington i know we've talked about it with him i think he he had some project this spring that he prioritized and he actually put up a 514 fa in washington this spring 
And I think he is interesting getting on it, but he just ran out of time before mm. it got hot. So, this yeah, fall, maybe. maybe he'll get on in the fall. He's definitely like the, the person, the local Washington person who would for sure do it. Yeah. So, cool. Um, there are others, but yeah. but yeah, he could do it for sure. Awesome. Yeah. So it's basically 10% direct free, but you gave, yeah. it, you gave it its own name, right? Yeah. 10% direct was kind of like its first name. And then I gave it an AKA en passant. I don't know why I named it. <laughs> I don't know why I named it that. Um, Shoot. I was about to ask you. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I'm like, <laughs> so yeah, en passant is this like really weird chess move. That's really hard to explain. I don't know. I mean, I guess it, it felt like it fit a little bit because, mm. you know, it was, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of stupid, stereotypical, like climbing, like solving problems, like making the strategic move. But yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was a fun, fun name. Cool. My friend, Chad, who he's the head setter at Seattle Bouldering Project. Shout out. Um, he belayed me on the send and yeah it was like one of those days where you're like you're just like asking around trying to get like anyone to go out with you and belay you uh-huh. on this thing because uh-huh. you're like i'm it's like it's you know early you're... may it's getting hot i'm running out of time <laughs> yeah you're close yeah and i like got him to come out just for that he belayed me on it i sent first go it was super awesome and he wanted me to call it fun triangle which i'm kind of sad i actually didn't name it that. <laughs> <laughs> because they're like it kind of revolves around this like triangle shaped like inset okay. triangle shape hold and you have to like at one point you have like th- three points of contact in this like triangle that's like a i don't know a foot high you have like two hands and a foot in there oh my gosh and you're like kind of doing so much with this triangle hold um but yeah i like that name yeah it's fun a triangle great name for a savage 14a yeah so it's funny it's got three names <laughs> are you a chess player <laughs> I, I, I know how to play chess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I'm not, yeah, not serious. So I crowdsourced a little bit when I was prepping for this. I reached out to Mikey and SJ to see if they had interesting questions for you. Mm. And SJ was interested in the Canadian Alpine trilogy. So we already touched on that. Mm-hmm. But Mikey had a question, you know, he knows that you're a root setter at SBP and he described the setting there as unique and fun but all volumes in compression and he called it like the most styled setting he'd ever seen and Hmm. he was curious if you feel like that volume style compression style is conductive for actually getting stronger yeah i think i think a lot of people have that question um is it especially compy is it a lot of volume i haven't climbed there in a long time yeah, I think Years. I think like kind of like the de facto association of volumes is with comp climbing, but I, the way that we look at it is that like volumes are an additional tool to create like a more diverse climbing experience. Mm-hmm. So we we don't really see it as volumes as kind of like being like compy per se. We feel like we've experienced a huge amount of diversity in climbing outside in all these different areas on sandstone, on granite, on limestone. And our kind of setting philosophy is that that diversity of climbing is not really represented indoors very well. Mm. Indoor climbing can be really one dimensional. Um, Mm -hmm. And that 
gives you a really good workout for sure. It can like work your fingers and like your upper body really well just to like tug on some holds. <laughs> and you know, for sure there's some climbing outside that's like it comes down to like can you like pull on these holds? But there's a lot of climbing that doesn't come down to that. It comes down to like being able to smear and use bad feet and like navigate through like weird funky like 3D features. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of our setting is affected by like the granite climbing of the area. Sure, like, yeah. The granite bouldering and index can be like very, very, very wild 3D, like thoughtful climbing. Feature climbing. Yeah. Yeah. Feature climbing. And I think I think that's why index is such a good crag is like it the diversity of climbing is so amazing there. Mm -hmm. You have to do all these like crazy moves. And yeah, I think that's a huge, huge inspiration for the setting style of SBP is it's like 3D granite climbing. Hmm. And, you know, obviously we take inspiration from what's happening in the comp scene, but that's not all of it. Like, yeah, the reason that we have volumes is like, just, I mean, they're just a tool, like they're like paint, you know, they're like just another thing that we can use to like create something different indoors mm -hmm. yeah do you think you would approach your own strength and power training with bouldering differently if you just got to climb there without root setting um how high quality is your forerunning session for training i guess that's kind of what i'm asking yeah it's definitely not like super high quality but the good things about it are that it can usually warm up slowly which sometimes when you go to the gym on your own, it's hard to like, it's hard to warm up slow enough. Um, and because, you know, most climbers nowadays are climbing V4 or below, we have to spend a lot of time on those boulders. Mm -hmm. And so like the first half of that forwarding session is like climbing V4 or below. And so it's a really nice kind of slow warm up. And then usually we'll jump after we're kind of like warmed up enough, but before we get tired, we'll jump to that high end and forerun those and then kind of like come back down to that, like the, those middle grades. Okay. Um, That's so interesting. I just did an interview with Paige Klassen. Yeah. And she does the exact same thing in her structured approach to her bouldering sessions. Oh, really? Like a thorough warm up and then skips to the hard, hard and mm -hmm. then backs off at notch to the kind of hard yeah 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 and so it like you can't really control what you get on but like you end up climbing limit moves most days so you know i still get a good power workout and it's a long session so it's like it's maybe longer than you know you would you would want for like a power workout you usually you want to call it quits before you're tired mm-hmm but you kind of like go beyond that when you're like dropping down to like the middle grades. Um, so I don't know. I just, I feel like that kind of like that longer day prepares me for just longer days outside and being able to perform longer. And just mm. my body is kind of used to that, that level. So I don't know. It's not perfect, but it's also, it also works <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. so
I know it's a lot of wear and tear on your body. That's something we talked about a bit on the phone. Yeah. Anything that you could point to that's helped you with recovery or that you focused on more in the last couple of years? Um, yeah, climbing less. <laughs> yeah. On, on top of your setting. Yeah, I used to like climb like five days total, five or six days sometimes. And like some days would be like more moderate climbing. But I mean, now I work more, <laughs> number one. But then also just I, I think I've learned that like I have to be like really... I have to treat those setting days as like real climbing days and like rest appropriately, mm. which sucks. But because I, I, you know, you want to like be like, oh, this is just my job. This is like not real climbing. Right. But the more I can kind of be like, this is real climbing and I show up fresh for my root setting, the more I can kind of put into four running, I feel like. And then the more I can get out of that session. So, yeah, it, it means only having like one or two max good days outside of setting but i think yeah climbing less has been pretty key and then yeah i i have to like make friends with the experts you know people who know bodies and like Hmm. how they work and like yeah i feel like i've had to learn so much about nutrition like what foods work for me and and then just like how to like balance out and balances my body what kind of like supplemental lifting and other stuff to do Hmm. but that's been like essential for me to figure out what those things are Mm -hmm. alongside with climbing less (laughs) (laughs) so got it yeah is there something that you've felt especially grateful for lately yeah I'm, i'm grateful that I have a job right now. It was nice to have a little break to be laid off for a bit, but... Yeah, you guys are back to setting? Yeah, we're back to setting, and I have... You know, setting's not the perfect job, but I look forward to going to work still. I work with fun people who love climbing, and I have a job right now in the midst of a global pandemic, and yeah, I think it's a pretty heavy time right now um, for a lot of reasons and I am super privileged super lucky to not really feel like I have a lot of like questions about like my livelihood in the near future so awesome Mm -hmm. (laughs) what about something you're excited about so I talked to you a little bit about like wanting to like look into like new roots and oh, cascades. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you're bringing this up. Yeah, I can bring I it almost, up because I that's forgot. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Yeah, and so let's talk about it. I think it's been perfect. I mean, yeah. So the, right now is like really not a good time to travel, and for me, I'm like, okay, I gotta just find find something really local to get psyched on, mm-hmm. and I have a couple ideas. One possibly is that I, I for sure want to check this out. Like, I'm not sure at all how it'll go, but there's this this face called Dolomite Tower on this mountain called Mount Bering that's pretty close to Index. From my house, it's like an hour and a half drive to the trailhead. And there's multiple routes on it, but there's like one route worth climbing on it called Vanishing Point Okay. that I actually revisited with... Um, with my friend Mike Kersner, who I 
climbed the trilogy with last year, mm-hmm. this last weekend. And it's this really re- unique route. It sounds like you the, guys had a really long day. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, yeah, it's really the first ascensionist, Brian Bordeaux, he, he gave it a grade of five, which is equivalent to like, you know, an LCAP route. What um, is that like implied overnight, like hauling? What, is, yeah. what does that mean exactly? I'm yeah, I think confused. I think like grade four is generally like, oh, this is a route that like most people will spend like a day and a half on. And like, I think grade five is like two full days or more or something okay. like that. I'll fact check it. Yeah, you Put can fact show check it. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, the grade, I feel like the grade three, four and five is like, it's something that's not really used anymore mm-hmm. because it's like standards have been kind of shattered as far as like how quickly people are free climbing stuff. So it's hard to use that like grading system and kind of know exactly what it means. Mm-hmm. You know, when people are, are free climbing or free soloing grade five in four hours, right. um, you know, it's like, what does that mean anymore? And it's pretty normal to climb like a grade four in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like most competent parties like will do that. Um, so I think originally Brian Bordeaux, I think, spent like three days free climbing this route. Oh, wow. Um, but then all of the since that it has seen since have been in long in one long day. Um, what is Vanishing Point? Is it like 12 plus or something? It's given a grade of like 12B. To me, it feels like 12 plus. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like the grade doesn't really say anything at all about how severe it is um yeah and and it's also just like really really close to the parking lot in a sense and that also kind of like throws off like how hard this thing should feel okay um what do you mean like the approach is gnarly or yeah it's it's like you do this like simple one mile hike on this nice trail like it's really popular trail and you like you hike it's like one mile to this lake and then you're right below this north face so you hike like 20 minutes max on this trail and then you like break off of it and you end up having to do like kind of like 2,000 feet of like technical approaching, oh, man. starting with like some bushwhacking and then like you get into this like 45 degree forest section where you're like clawing up like dirt and roots and some fixed lines that are left in place. And then you have to like climb like several hundred feet of these slabs, which when Mike and I did it, climbed it Friday, they were all just like streaming with water. Oh my God. Yeah. So they, there's actually like, these slabs are like kind of bolt protected in some ways or in some spots, but like a significant zone was just like, these bolts were just in a waterfall (laughs) and like, there's, I don't know, there was no way that we could actually like climb the bolts. And so we were like kind of questing to the left of them, like in drier terrain, but there was no protection. Like, I think at one point I like slung this, like, I don't know, centimeter thick branch. (laughs) Like it, like, I don't know. It's like, it maybe held, would have held, but probably not. Um, oh yeah, God. so this it was like a mix of like kind of climbing through waterfalls and these slabs and 
walking on snow fields in our climbing shoes. Oh, and, wow. like climbing up some mud just to get to the base of this wall. And then it's like 1,500 feet of like really, really steep sustain. Like, I mean, it's like the climbing is 11 plus 512 pretty much the whole way. Oh, wow. And yeah, it's like, it's, it feels pretty serious because it's super exposed. Like there's some loose rock here and there. Yeah, it definitely has this lore to it. And I think like Mikey actually was involved in in an accident on that route. Um, And that's added to the lore of it. Hmm. Um, So curious now. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I've climbed this route before and like my friend Travis and I, we like, we had some route finding issues and then like we were trying to climb through like sections of loose rock and like it took us a while to figure out that we didn't need to do that and there was a better way and we ended up just getting kind of really scared and spooked and like kind of giving up our goal of free climbing the route and just like trying to get up and over as fast as we could Mm. and we were like 12 hours car to car that day and so coming back to it i was like uh, you know probably will take us 12 hours or less because i know the route and i'm with another competent partner um, like it should go fairly smoothly and it ended up taking us like three hours longer. We were like, in, like nearing the top of the route. We had started in Seattle at like five and we were nearing the top and my partner's like, Oh, it's like after seven, like we're definitely not going to hit the 12 hour goal. And I was like, so, so my, I was 5 AM and you're at 7 PM at the top. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so we were, like, already beyond 12 hours, and I, like, hadn't checked the time the whole time we were climbing the route, and so I was like, no, you're kidding me, that's not right. It is not past seven right now. But, yeah, just, like, it took forever. We we both sent the route that day, so I think, nice. like, to do that, we were, like, having to, like, climb it at a casual pace, mm-hmm. like, taking some rest and, like... Yeah, we were just, we we're not just like in kind of all out, like we need to get to the top mode. We we're like, you know, trying to like give us, save enough energy to free climb the next pitch. But it's this like totally kind of, it's it's this weird clash of like, this is a really local phase. It's mostly bolted, but yet it still feels like it's really committing. Hmm. And like, you can like look from the route, you can like see. You can see the lower town walls and like oh, you can no kind of like see back to the the Puget Sound, you know, it's like you feel like like not far out, but also like you really, well, actually you feel far out, but you're really not. Okay. Yeah. And so I don't know, I've, I've kind of like, since I climbed that route, I've wondered like if there might be another good possibility on that face. So, and I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm inspired by Mikey and SJ's route. You know, it would be cool if like, you know. On Liberty Bell. Yeah, it would yeah. be cool if there was like, you know, a, another, like a Washington trilogy. Yeah, of like, hell yeah. Of like hard multi-pitch routes. Cool. So, I don't know, maybe that exists there. Maybe it doesn't. Like, maybe I'll go up there and like, you know, wrap in and find that it's just like really terrible rock and like not even worth it. Part of going back to it with Mike Friday was to kind of suss that out, right? Yeah, I hadn't been on that face in a, in a few years, and I just wanted to, like, feel it out, kind of look to the left, to the right, and a lot of it is, like, kind of blank face, so, like, it's just going to take, like, 
actually getting on the face and finding something. But it's fairly featured. So there, like, there's no doubt like several ways that, you, that that face could be climbed. But I think like there is some loose rock, and I think that's the big question: is like, can that be like cleaned to like a extent that the root feels safe? You know, right now, like Vanishing Point, there's a couple sections that like there's one section that's like that I, I don't love. Like, I, and I don't know if I would be psyched. At, about making a route that like where it's required that you like kind of climb on these like loose looking flakes mm. and like another part about vanishing point that makes it feel real is that it's kind of bolted not very well like some pitches are bolted really well but then there's these sections where you're just kind of pointlessly running it out mm. and like a fall would be really bad so Part of me is like, if I, you know, if I create a route that's like actually well bolted, like maybe it actually will feel like safe mm. to like climb on this face. Mm-hmm. Right now it doesn't, it feels like almost there, like vanishing point is not like, it's not completely unsafe, but it's definitely not as safe as you would want it to be. So yeah that's that's something i'm kind of psyched on checking out like after being up there again i'm like oh man this is like this is so real like it would be like a ton of work to put something up on that face and there's still a lot of questions so i don't know we'll see but i have some other like some other ideas locally of some routes to check out that are like bigger way wait no well less big than that okay so yeah, so I'll, I'll find something this summer to kind of okay. <laughs> occupy my time with. Any other projects, any other sport climbing projects or stuff at Index or anything like that? Um, not really. Yeah, I think I'm kind of like, I think I have to choose if I'm going to be in sport climbing mode or like climbing in the mountains mode. Because okay. um, it's just like I can't be sport climbing fit and also be like trying to put up a new route so i kind of want to just lay off of trying to be in any kind of fitness and just like focus on finding something new so cool yeah right on yeah uh where can people connect with you um that's a good question (laughs) i get that answer a lot (laughs) they can't they they can't do you get that answer a lot i do yeah yeah Yeah. it's about 50 50 it seems like um yeah so i'm like I am not really on social media. I got off like a year ago, but I have a personal site, NathanHadley.com. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and I it's think awesome. I think my email is on that. I need to like look. <laughs> to see you if write it has great it. articles. You write great r- trip write-ups and stuff too. Um, yeah, I've thanks, some, dude. Yeah, I've read some of them. Yeah, yeah I read about your Patagonia trip. I think it was really great write-up. Cool. Yeah, I'm trying to like. I'll link to it. Yeah, share a little bit of what I'm up to there. It feels like healthier for me to do it that way instead of like feeling like I need to like constantly kind of update the world about like every little thing that I'm doing. So just write about the things that like feel significant to me. So, and I interrupted you. Is there a a contact page on that? Yeah, I think, I think like I, yeah, my email's on that site. So you can find me at (laughs) nathanhadley.com. Cool. For now. Right on. Yeah. Well, thanks, Nathan. This has been super fun. Fun mix of uh, of stuff. I'm pretty excited to try some of your font circuit 
Yeah, dude. <laughs> Techniques when I'm back in the gym, whenever that is. Yeah. Do you ever want any more guidance or ideas about how to do that? I'm psyched to talk awesome. about it. So Awesome. Yeah. And if I follow up with you on that, then I'll be sure to pass it on to people listening yeah. too. Totally. Cool. Thanks, dude. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. Cheers. Like we do it.